0: which we always say that, and the phone always rings, so what are you going to do? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'll just uh, give me wisdom and help in communicating things that I've studied, and I thank you for this time to uh, set aside in our busy schedules to learn of you and learn more about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well. I read, let me tell you, first of all, I read about 50 to 100 inheritance jokes that didn't make me laugh at all. So I don't have an inheritance joke, okay? (laughs) I looked at everybody's online, but anyway. So I just went back to something I had read a while back about a well-known British Bible teacher in Kenya who was there to conduct a retreat for the bishops and the clergy in uh, Kenya. And he told the story of a parish priest who always had a glass of milk at the pulpit before he started preaching. And one Sunday, some mischievous choir boys had removed part of the milk from the glass and filled it up with whiskey instead. So when the priest went to the pulpit, he tasted his glass of milk. He hesitated a bit. He licked his lips. He sipped a little more. And then he drank the whole glass down. After which he exclaimed, what a cow. <laughs> so. Anyways, well, there's no shortage of unusual inheritance uh, stories. For instance, the director of Chanel, who passed away at age 85, left 150 million pounds for his cat. Uh, a dog, as you most of you know, Leanna Helmsley, the famous real estate billionaire, left $12 to her dog. Uh, The family didn't get much. Two out of the four grandkids got nothing. Um, A Portuguese aristocrat left his money to 70 strangers from a phone directory he chose randomly 13 years before he passed. And I'm sure some of you could tell some very strange and difficult and painful inheritance stories of your own. Well, we've come to that portion of the, Bible, of the book of Joshua that finally begins the process of handing out the inheritance to each of the tribes of Israel. It's easy to look at some of these chapters as incredibly tedious regarding this entire process regarding real estate. But for the people of Israel, this was actually the thrill of seeing the fruition of the Abrahamic covenant finally come to pass from centuries previous This was their visit with the lawyer in the office for the reading of the will, as it were. It's included in scripture because God is a God of details, and details matter to God. And although we have five chapters to cover in one lesson, which means obviously an overview, it shows the faithfulness of God to keep his promises and to accomplish what he promised. It also reminds us of the New Testament truth that God has chosen the weak things in this world, the despised, to accomplish his purposes chapter 12 is really the conclusion of what began in chapter one detailing the kings defeated by israel and throughout our study this semester we've seen specific well-known battles explained like uh, jericho and here in chapter 12 it's a complete list of all those conquered kings and cities So we look at chapter 12, the victories on the east side of the Jordan, which is kind of a review. The kings of Sihon and Og are mentioned at the start, listing the particular areas that they had once controlled. And you know the story of their defeat is actually found during the time of Moses when he recorded it in Numbers 21 as well as Deuteronomy 2. Uh, And that gave the territory to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. This was a big stretch of land to the east of the Arnon Gorge to Mount Hermon, and it went down to the Dead Sea, extended to the Jordan Valley. There were 30-plus kings listed in this chapter. 16 kings were defeated in the southern campaign, 15 in the northern campaign. Then we come to the conquered area to the west of the Jordan, and that's verses 7 through 24. And in these verses, it shows us how God keeps his promises. That is so important because it means that we can trust him and his promises that we read in the New Testament. If he is faithful to Israel and kept his word to them, he is faithful then to those who are part of his family in the church. In these verses, we have recorded 31 kings of the southern Canaan area, followed by 15 kings from the north. So it was 150 miles of land, and then 50 miles wide, east to west. Certainly, this is a large amount of kings, when you think about it, in a not-so-great area of land. There's a lot of kings going on here. They reigned over city-states and had local authority. The fact that they didn't have a central local government is what made it easier to be defeated by Israel. One ancient commentator said this, but though each of those that are now summarized are mentioned, was previously given in, uh, in detail. There is a very good reason for here, placing before our eyes, as it were, a living picture of the goodness of God, proving that there had been a complete ratification and performance of the covenant that <clears throat> was made with Abraham in the words, Unto thy seed will I give this land. <clears throat> so we've looked at details in the battles, and now it's like the overview. So these verses emphasize Yahweh's old promise to Abraham that it was fulfilled. God did as he promised, so in reality, these verses are filled with excitement. These verses we read we find, as I said, tedious, but for the people of Israel, it was like singing Great is thy faithfulness. <clears throat> God had kept his word and his promises to Abraham and his descendants. Each conquered king is a sign of the power of God at work a reason for praise. So we learn from this that we need to recognize the details in the goodness of God, act by act, so that we think more highly of God as we reflect on him and all his, he has accomplished, even on our behalf. Songs have been written about the details of the goodness of God to Israel throughout the book of Psalms, Psalms 105, 135, 136, where the history is recited of Israel in Psalm 105, we read, Sing to him, sing praises to him, speak of him, his wonders. When they were only a few men in number, very few, and strangers in it, he permitted no man to oppress them. <clears throat> he, re- he reproved kings for their sake. So when we give thanks in detail about the things God has done and provided, our faith is encouraged. And we were able to trust him for even more things that come into our lives. So instead of praying, thank you, Lord, for your blessings, just vague, we ought to name the blessings, which reminds me of a very old hymn that I grew up singing, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And that is something we need to do, not just have general things, Lord, thank you for all you've blessed me, but be specific And as we see in our study, God is a God of detail, and so our praise for him ought to include details. The victory God made possible over the enemies of Israel serves as a preview for that time when Jesus returns to earth and rescues the remnant of Israel who will turn to him at that point. Two-thirds of them will be killed by the Antichrist. But those who remain will turn and recognize him whom they've pierced as he returns to earth and sets up the millennial kingdom. His power has been seen in the help that he gave Israel to conquer the promised land, and we will see his power at work again one day in the future. <clears throat> when that great day happens, that Revelation 11, 15 reminds us, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I can't wait for that day. So now we begin the final chapters that focus on the actual possessing of the inheritance of the land. uh, Chapter 13. So this chapter begins with another major division of the book. So chapters 1 through 4 was Israel entering the land. Chapters 5 through 12 was them taking the land. And now 13 through 21 are about the possessing of the land. And again, I realize it's tedious to read all these details of cities and boundaries, but that's because we're so far removed and detached from what this would have been like, as I said, for the Israelites. This was the crowning moment in the young life of this nation. After bondage in Egypt, decades of wandering in the wilderness, years of fighting in Canaan, the day finally came for the tribes to settle down, go to your place of inheritance, build yourself a house, raise your family, worship the Lord, grow your crops, and get on with life. So, for each tribe, this would have been an exciting time as you wait to find out where you're headed. So, God commands the land to be divided in verses 1 through 7. Now, Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, you're old and advanced in years. <laughs> uh, and very much of the land remains to be possessed. I will drive them out from before the sons of Israel, only a lot to Israel it to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore apportion this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. So the Lord had miraculously helped Israel to have all those victories and the battles that we have been looking at. His power had helped them in the past, and now Joshua was to allot specific lands to the specific tribes and their particular inheritance. And then as they went to their land, they were to finish the work that had started to occupy their land. Their victories and their dominance were substantial in the land, but it was time for the tribes to inherit and finish the task God gave them to do. In verse 6, God says, I will drive them out from before the sons of Israel just like he had been doing the last seven years. That promise should encourage them to continue to head farther north of Sidon to dominate the land. God's promise takes in the entire opportunity of doing his will and should not be limited to just human thinking. God gives this promise as he has done in the face of Moses' death and now in the face of Joshua being an old man. And the promise is repeated again. Joshua is about to retire from being the general of the army. Now he's going to be an administrator. But God will continue to be sufficient to drive out the enemies of Israel from the land. The mortality of the servants of God never impedes the work of, his everlast, of the everlasting God. We don't know the exact age of Joshua at this point. He was likely older than Caleb. We know Caleb was 85 We know Joshua lived to be 110, and all that was left to be done may have taken a whole other decade. So the grant is given to the eastern tribes first in verses 8 through 13, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. As you know, had been eager to settle in the rich grazing land of the Transjordan, but agreed to fight with their kinsmen till they had conquered the land. We read that the sons of Israel did not dispossess the Gersherites, or the Maccathites, and a failure to follow up from their initial conquest was a huge mistake. One could invade a territory, but there had to be time to then move into that land and finish the job. This wasn't an immediate crisis, but it would become a big problem in the future. There must be tenacity and endurance to keep plodding along and doing what God calls one to do. Sometimes it seems hard to be obedient, When it comes to the small details, but it truly matters in the big picture. We see in verse 14 that the tribe of Levi received no specific territory in the land as the tribes did. Instead, they were given the 48 towns with pasture lands for their herds and their animals. That brings us to the land deeded to the individual tribes in verses 15 through 33. So Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of the sons of Reuben, according to their families. The southernmost inheritance of Reuben had lots of lakes, rivers, valleys, plains, and towns all mixed together. It's interesting that Og and Sihon continue to be mentioned throughout this section as well as Balaam. Many of these victories against these uh, Canaanite kings had taken place even under Moses and should serve as a reminder to the people of God's faithfulness... that they could trust him in the battles they had yet to face. God's covenant love for Israel would continue just as it did in the time of Moses. We see from this that faith remains steadfast and expectant... by continually rehearsing God's faithfulness in the past. Specific mention of the Levites is again made in chapter 13. Their inheritance consisted of the offerings by fire to the Lord... Those strong in their faith are grateful for their inheritance, but faith, but must be careful not to value God's gift more than God himself. And that brings us to the portion for Caleb in chapter 14. Having just given the allotment by Moses, now Joshua turns to the distribution of the land of Canaan to the remaining nine and a half tribes. We read in verse uh, 1 of 14. Now, these are the territories which the sons of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel, apportioned to them for an inheritance by the lot of their inheritance, as the Lord commanded through Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. So the system for assigning who gets what in Canaan was to be done by the priest Eleazar and by Joshua as well as a representative from each of the 12 tribes, or nine and a half, The amount of territory was proportionate to the number of people that were in each tribe. This has nothing to do with chance or luck. God directed this whole procedure as he controls the lots as they were used. There was nothing arbitrary or unfair about the lands that were designated and handed out. Obedience to God in these duties with the lots... Are not trivial and no less important than obeying those specific commands, like walk around Jericho every day, once a day, and then give a shout. Obedience is always the key. So that brings us to Caleb in verses 6 through 15. And the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of uh, Jupanah, whatever, and uh, Kenzanite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, the brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord, my God, fully. So we see clearly in this chapter the devotion and faith of this really great hero of the faith, Caleb. Caleb recalls when Moses sent out the original 12 tribes to investigate the land of Canaan. And the cities were highly fortified. They had strong military might, high walls, chariots, and some very large men as well. It was like Israel was like a junior high squad playing the NFL. That's the way it appeared. But Caleb went against the flow and followed his God. He knew God could do what he said he'd do. He and Joshua had faith and they were willing to stand alone. And as you know, in Numbers 14, they wanted to kill Caleb. Caleb believed they could possess this land because God would be with them. No need to fear the giants or anybody else in the land. It seems that when a person has a devotion to their faith in in God, it will require courage and a willingness to stand alone. His devotion to his faith and trust in the Lord led him to be isolated. And that's still so true today, isn't it? Whether you're a young person standing up for what you believe while being ridiculed and mocked in a classroom by a teacher, or you're an employee who stands alone because you refuse to lie for a company or engage in some unethical activity and find yourself out of a job or transferred to a lowly department, all because you will stand alone. The people of Israel had a great example in Caleb, to remember uh, once they were in the land of their inheritance. Would they cave into the pressures of those around them? Or would they be willing to stand alone and do what is right because of their faith in their God of Israel? Caleb would repeat again and again that his request is is for nothing but what God had actually already promised. When we walk by faith, we must depend on and plead the promises of God. Our anchor is the word of God, The only foundation for our faith and praying scripture i mean you can't pray wrong when you pray back scripture to god we learn so much from caleb our faith cannot be based on our feelings or our circumstances but on the word of god and that's what he trusted the object of our faith must be the god of our faith can't have faith in our faith faith has to be in the god that we trust. Caleb believed the promises of God and he turned those prayers that he prayed back to God. Like the psalmist in 130 verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Walking by faith means we trust what God has said to us in his word. Our trust must never be in how spiritual we may or may not feel at a particular moment. In verse 10, now behold, the Lord has let me live. Just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I'm 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and for coming in. I would like a dosage of whatever Caleb had. (laughs) Wow. Caleb credits God as keeping him alive, just as he had promised. And now all of these years later, he is as strong as he was on the very first mission God sent him out on. What a contrast to those other ten who went out with him, long dead in the wilderness at likely young ages. So Caleb reflects on what God has done, and Caleb remembers uh, with gratitude and God had kept him alive in the midst of all the battles. I mean, you know he was out there fighting with Joshua and the rest of the army he, at 85. <laughs> he still had the strength and fortitude to continue carrying out the task God gave him to do. Faith can look to the past, remember the goodness of God in the past, and then bring that goodness into the present to help us think right about God and to praise him. This man of faith thought about God's goodness, and he responded with gratefulness and found the grace to do the next thing God wanted him to do. Verse 12, now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Caleb makes a specific request for the hill country of Hebron. And as Caleb reflects on the goodness and mercy in the past, it gives him boldness for the present and the future. All the land that the men of Israel had whimpered and complained about because of their fear, that's the land Caleb wants to inherit. He wants the fortified cities where the giants live. Those filled with unbelief were filled with fear, but Caleb was actually emboldened by the challenge because he knew God was on his side. This wasn't just about Caleb being an optimistic type of person. But Caleb believed God and believed his word. When Caleb says, perhaps Yahweh will be with me, he's not saying that as a maybe, I don't know for sure. But really, it's more the thought of expectancy. As God had promised the outcome... To be certain, he knew that it would be. Caleb recognized God was, the, was not there to do his own personal bidding, but rather Caleb was God's servant who was simply following what God said to do. Caleb believed what God said back in Exodus 23, I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. Based on God's word, Caleb was absolutely confident without being cocky himself. Some people want to walk by faith, but first they they think they have to figure all the calculations out so they can figure out what's going to happen before they start the journey. Caleb's faith looked at his almighty God who delights to surprise his people with amazing goodness and faith. He had a faith that was willing to venture out with God at the helm. Caleb wasn't ready to retire just because he was 85. He didn't look for easy tasks, he was ready to take on more challenges. After Caleb made his request to Joshua, Joshua blessed him, gave him Hebron to Caleb for the inheritance, and Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. One can't help but be impressed with the faith of Caleb. He wasn't one to complain. He believed what God said. He was willing to stand alone with his convictions, even at great personal cost. He reminded himself of the truths of God and the promises of God, and that caused his faith to grow strong, and he was willing to follow the Lord in complete obedience. When I grow up to be 85, I want to be like Caleb. The Lord will give the strength that we each need for the task that he has given us to do, no matter our age. Obstacles did not defeat or deter Caleb. While others were apprehensive Caleb took and used that adrenaline to push forward and do more for his God. Well, that brings us to the inheritance in chapter 15, 1 through 63, of Judah. In the remaining chapters, we are given the long description of the divisions of the inheritance to the nine and a half tribes. Each tribe could be prosperous and develop incredible potential in the land that they inherited if they would only finish driving out the rest of the Canaanites. Land distribution was based on the size of the tribe uh, by drawing of lots. And it was understood that the largest and most prominent tribes of Judah and the sons of Joseph uh, should get their land first, which would then determine the rest of the allotments to be made to the other tribes. Jacob, the father of the nation, had himself predicted that Judah would have that place of blessing among the tribes back in Genesis 49, where he also said the scepter will not depart out of Judah, which is a reference to the Messiah coming from Judah. So we see the southern border is initially talked about in the first four verses, down by the end of the Dead Sea into the desert of Zin. Then they were given the eastern and northern borders in 5 through 11, and the western border in verse 12. Verses 13 through 19, we have the town specifically of Caleb. Caleb, though, drove out the three sons of Anak, also attacked the people of Debir. He also offered his daughter as a prize to be the wife of the soldier who captured Kiriath Sefer. So his daughter then also asked her father Caleb for the blessing of being given springs of water. And he granted that to her. Again, Caleb is such an inspiration as one who is eager to carry out the task given to him even when he's old. He was not intimidated by the pagan military powerful uh Armies of those in the land that he had now inherited. he didn't just talk about faith in his God, he acted in faith and God gave, gave him success, just like the beginning of uh, this book, if you want success, you do faithfully and courageously what God's called you to do. What Caleb did was to each uh, was what each tribe was supposed to do when they took possession of their own inheritance. Of course, it was challenging to go and do combat again as just a small tribe, but God keeps his promises. This is the land promised to the covenant people of Abraham. All the details given in this chapter describes God's gift of the land. How thrilling this would have been for each tribe awaiting the direction of the land and the direction they were to go. In verses 20 through 63, we read about the cities of Judah that were grouped into different regions, the Negev, the western foothills, the hill country, and the desert. And the last verse is a sad verse, as the tribe of Israel failed to drive out the people in Jerusalem. Joshua had defeated the king of Jerusalem. We saw that last week, but the city remained in the hand of the Jebusites. It would finally be conquered so many years into the future by King David. Long way down the road. The inheritance then of Ephraim is seen in chapter 16, 1 through 10. The land of the sons of Joseph was drawn as one lot, and then that territory was divided among Ephraim and Manasseh. Chapters 16 and 17 actually form a unit, but our lesson divided it in half. And although Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob, his sons Ephraim and Manasseh were the ones to receive the inheritance. This meant Joseph received double blessing. His son's Ephraim's inheritance is mentioned first because he received the priority in the blessing over his brother, as you remember, the blessing given out back in Genesis 48 and 9. But what is tragic again in this chapter is the last verse that tells us Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites. This is going to present an ongoing crisis Uh, which one sees if you decide to read through the book of Judges as a follow-up to our study, you'll see the ongoing challenges. You know, there had been victory over the Canaanites, and yet Israel was told to rid the land of all when they took possession. These people, they decided to use who they conquered for forced labor, but this was completely contrary to the command given by God, who said he was exercising divine judgment on the Canaanites. They were to be no more. Like Judah with Jerusalem, Ephraim had a big thorn in its side because the men did not drive out their enemies. And I think it's easy to look at this and wonder, why did they do this? Why didn't they just keep going? But you know what? They're no different than than us to rationalize away the clear commands of God because we do the exact same thing. Apparently they thought, well, we mostly obeyed. Hey, we just spent seven years of our life in war, in combat. And we fought alongside Joshua faithfully. But incomplete obedience is not obedience. And we all fall into that same trap, doing some of the things God commands us in his word, doing it partially. For instance, as parents training up kids, we know we're supposed to train them to obey the first time we give them uh, a command because how we train them to obey is how they will obey God. And it's so easy to fall into that uh, trap of all of a sudden you're screaming the fifth time about the thing you've asked them to do. And you're not training them any longer to be first time in obedience. And as parents, we know that to be our task, but we don't do it. Or there's that issue of being submissive to your own husband. And that doesn't mean only when you agree with him. I'm talking about partial obedience here. I, I do it on occasion when it works for me. Uh, only sometimes in your day making time to pray or read the word. And on and on and on it goes. We are guilty of the same incomplete obedience. We may do some of what God has clearly commanded us to do, but fail to do it completely. In time, our sin and our own failures to obey all that God has told us to do will come back to bite us and bring great distress and sorrow in this life. So let's learn from these tribes what not to do. And let's learn from Caleb to be women of faith, women who believe his word, who believe his promises, and then actually obey them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you keep your promises. Lord. That is the best news for us here. So then when we read, you'll never leave us and you'll never leave us abandoned, that you will always be with us, that you will provide for our every need, that you are the one who loves us unconditionally. Lord, there's so many promises that all things work together for good to those that love you, that nothing can separate us from your love. No tribulation, no distress, nothing. Lord, I pray that we would read those truths and have greater confidence that your word is truth, that we can trust your truth just like Caleb, who believed your word and acted in obedience. I pray for each one here, Lord, to have hearts that want to follow and obey you completely. Not occasionally, not when it fits our agenda, but wholehearted devotion. Lord, I pray for each of us to have hearts that walk in obedience. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who has not yet come to that place of surrender of their life to you, based on the fact that you died in our place on the cross to pay for the wrath that we deserve for our sin, Lord, I pray that you will open the eyes of anyone here to see their need to trust you as Lord and Savior from personal sin. I pray that you'll go with us as we go out today, and Lord, help us to think about specific blessings, specific ways you have been faithful to us throughout the last week, day, month, years, and not just to have general thoughts about you, Lord, but very specific, because that helps us then to trust you when the next trial rolls around. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.